I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, this is Kristen Sinanta-Walker and I am here with Dr. Christina Hallett. She is a board-certified clinical psychologist, executive coach, speaker, and author. She's written some awesome books, bestsellers, international bestsellers, Own Best Friend, Eight Steps to a Life of Purpose, Passion, and Ease, and Be Awesome, I love that being from Southern California. That was my word. Awesome. So be awesome. Banish burnout. Create motivation from the inside out. So, Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. This is really fun. I'm looking forward to talking. <laughs> I am too. And I, how I heard about you was you did a wonderful um, course that Melanie Van, who has her master's degree in counseling, went to and probably got some CEUs and so on. Um, she went to that course just recently and the topic was intriguing. So can you tell our listeners what the course was about? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was a full day session and it was called Rewiring the Brain. Treatment Techniques for Narcissistic, Antisocial, Obsessive Compulsive, and Borderline Personality Disorders. Yes, very fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much in there, right? I mean, like, it's yes. a mouthful just to say, but spending the day talking about that because and there's two whole areas there's the whole how do we rewire our brain and learn new things and what's the neuroscience behind that and the fact that we even can and then um can you work with people with personality disorders can they change and what do you do to help them to change or not yeah i will say this we had um we had someone who is a survivor of trauma from a malignant narcissist and they're still very much in the trauma which is completely understandable i would have said this same thing um, at an earlier stage of my healing and i want to say i want to preface this too for listeners when i say that i'm not saying that i'm further ahead than somebody else because it's that would be a very egotistical thing for me to say i'm just saying that um, everybody is at a different place in their healing. That's just some people are way down the road from me. But what they heard about this class and they said, well, that's a lie. 
And they were very <laughs> upset about it, very upset and kind of yelled that at Melanie. And Melanie is the most peaceful person, you know, ever. And she was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I understand where you're coming from and that, that you believe it's, that's absolutely a lie. And so how do you respond to something like that when someone, you know, legitimately is upset? They've been traumatized. Right. Well, and the trauma is very real for them. And I think often when people have been traumatized or someone they know has been traumatized, what they're looking for is validation that yeah. this is real and this happened and it is absolutely real, absolutely happened. And one of the things that I talk about in this class is I talk about what are the people with personality disorders who are most likely to change and which personality disorders are least likely to change. Mm -hmm. So, and everything is on a continuum, right? So with, it doesn't matter what it is. My capacity for compassion is a skill and it's on a continuum. Uh, this person's capacity for healing and this person's capacity for change, they're all on a continuum. And not everybody invests in making the changes or doing the healing that is potentially possible. So one of the things that I encounter and that people say a lot is, hey, XYZ personality disorder, there's a particular one, those people don't change, there's no treatment techniques, and why are you even thinking about this? <laughs> and what I would say is, for each kind of personality disorder, there's the potential of capacity for some change. But of course, like anything else, it depends on the person's investment and willingness. And so how much does a person with this personality disorder want to change their life because it's uncomfortable versus that personality disorder who mm, they're not really feeling that their life is uncomfortable. So there's no real investment in doing the work of rewiring and change. So I like to make a differentiation between the potential of capacity for skill building and change and the realistic likelihood of someone doing something radically different. And that, I think, really depends on the individual's personal investment and how comfortable or uncomfortable they find their life to be. Right. And many people have said when someone who thinks everything is everyone else's fault, not theirs, <laughs> they have almost no ability to um, have self-reflection. It's when life has become unmanageable, meaning they're losing their spouse, they're losing their house, they're losing their job, they're losing all kinds of things. They're, they're in a, uh, their life is in crisis and now they're having a wake up call and maybe even begrudgingly, they're going to look at changing uh, because things just aren't working for them. It isn't working out well. And the ones where it is working out well, according to them, there's no investment. There's no, there's nothing kind of held over them to make those changes. That's exactly it. And, you know, unfortunately, even for the person who might be losing everything, if they're in, you know, and we're, I mean, we'll be clear about this. We're really referencing sort of narcissistic traits or full on narcissistic personality disorder, because mm -hmm. that's the one situation where even if that person is losing everything and they may be very, very angry about that because the, the personality pattern, the way that they manage things is to hold everyone else at fault 
and not take that personal responsibility, it's still very possible that that person isn't going to take responsibility. Or if they do, it's at a more superficial level. So one of the things I actually said in the class that Melanie was in was, listen, you might get someone with a narcissistic personality disorder to come into treatment, but the likelihood is they're coming in because they want you, the treater, to tell their spouse, partner, family member that the other person is wrong and support the way that the person with narcissistic <laughs> personality disorder wants things to be, right? That's how you're most likely to see that individual in treatment because there's not a lot of motivation for them to say, oh, I think it's me. I better change something. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things for the person who's been a survivor in that kind of situation. So what is interesting and that people don't tend to recognize is when they hear things like narcissistic personality disorder, they think of this ogre that is loud and uh, annoying. And we have perfect examples going on in politics about this, all kinds of things like that. <laughs> but it isn't just that. There are people that um, are, that have degrees of narcissism um, that stops them in their life is very self-sabotaging because they won't look within. They'll do everything but, like, here's the problem and it's you, but I'm going to do all this windy road constantly to avoid dealing with with the one in the middle. And they're, they can be very self-involved, very self-absorbed. They give you their resume every time you have a conversation with them, but they don't behave like your typical you know, person with narcissist with you know a high degree of narcissism, they may be very quiet and shy and so on. So I think that throws people for a loop. Yeah, you know, that's you're entirely correct, Kristen. And not just that, but there are people with narcissistic traits, right? Because it's a continuum, as we said before. There are people who mm -hmm. are enormously charming. In fact, that's one of the things. So they could be the shy person you're talking about, but it can also be this person who they're not an ogre. They're not loud. They're interesting. They're charming. They're magnetic. And that's right. one of the ways that people get sort of caught up in this because on the surface, it all looks good. I was describing this literally yesterday to someone and I said, imagine that what you have, the individual is the sun, S-U-N, the sun. So for mm -hmm. them, the person with narcissism, everything is revolving around the sun. So you might be the moon, <laughs> you could be the earth, you could be a meteor, but you're constantly revolving around that sun. That's their perspective. Now, that may not be what anyone else sees or what anyone else wants, but that's how they're viewing the world. So as long as everything is quietly revolving around the sun, everything's good. The sun shines brightly, is super happy, right? Things go along. That's where the charm and the getting invested in the relationship come. But then at some point, sort of, let's say, the other person, the moon, sort of says, you know, I want a moment to shine or, hey, I have some needs of my own, you know? And right. at that point, the sun says, and we're going to do an eclipse. Not happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're out. That's it. It's very, the, the sun won't allow that. Now, I, I know I'm sort of really playing with the laws of nature here to try to make this <laughs> argument. But, but it's this revolving around. And what goes wrong when the narcissist loses their charm, 
or they lose their quietness, either end of that, and you see the conflict and the struggle is when the person who's in orbit begins to say, hey, you know, um, it's been uh, 23 years. What about me? You know, <laughs> and right. and that's what sort of sets off the difficulties, because in truth, if a person didn't personally develop, didn't take care of themselves and remained in constant adoration revolving around the narcissist slash son, things are pretty steady state. But, you know, as human beings, we all have needs. We all need and deserve an opportunity to be empowered individuals. So that's not really consistent with maintaining a relationship with a person with strong narcissistic traits. Absolutely. And it's very difficult to, you know, it, take, it can take longer to sort of sniff out that that's what's really going on with this person because they don't have, you know, what's talked about most, those more overt aggressive characteristics. So I tend to kind of look at, well, what's behavior over time? How many people have spent money, time, energy on helping this person constantly this person is needy and needs help with their business or their whatever and people go out of their way to make this happen and then every single time it doesn't matter who it is it could be their closest friend doing the same thing to help them they start picking it apart they mm -hmm. start that everybody gets thrown under the bus at some point is no one's good enough, no one's doing, no one's representing me in the right light, no one's, uh, the, and you just kind of sit back and go, okay, you're either a master self-saboteur or you have some pretty high narcissistic traits. Absolutely, <laughs> right, right, because how can that be, right, and and yet, right from the outside, because you're sort of looking at this from the more neutral objective, like, hey, I care, I'm a compassionate person when someone says they need mm -hmm. something. Right. And so hooking someone in through neediness is just as effective as hooking someone in through charm and being uh, pleasant and appearing caretaking. Like both of those are true. It's just a different application of the same thing. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I remember someone getting very upset they weren't being paid attention to enough. Nobody meets their standard. They have to rewrite everything anyone writes about them a thousand times because it just isn't right in expressing who they are. And I'm thinking, this is why everybody wants nothing to do with you. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> People get burnt out and go, okay, you live in your fantasy world about your standards, which are not your real life at all. This is fake. This is the one one non-making money situation after another. Enjoy living there because they have to be right. Yeah. And you go you go have fun in your rightness. And I'm going to go be around people who are humble, who know what true humility is, who can say, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm acting out of my ego and that was not right. And I'm really sorry or whatever it may be. You know, because we're human. Some of us can behave very narcissistically, but that doesn't mean that we have a personality disorder. We could just be going through a very self-involved time. Exactly. And, you know, I want to throw something in here because one of the things that 
I address it sort of with the people that I do coaching with all the time is the difficulty that the non-narcissist has in taking care of themselves or speaking up about their own needs, right? Because we tend to think like it's better to do for someone else or I need to take care of someone else first. So... (laughs) Unfortunately, what happens is we've got the narcissist out there who's like, no, it's all about me and my needs. And then we have so many other people who are saying, yeah, I don't want to be like that. So if I take care of my needs, I run the danger of being this self-involved narcissist. That's clearly that's not okay. So unfortunately, people stay stuck in this as if it's not okay to engage in our own appropriate empowerment and self-care. Exactly. And and how much more when you are someone that naturally is that way, when you are someone that naturally does for others, there's nothing wrong with being a caretaker. Absolutely. My God, where would the world be without caretakers? But the reality is you'll get so much further as this thing that you love to do, which is caretake, if you put yourself first on the list. Right. Right. <laughs> there's no question. And, and so my coaching work is ideally to learn to put yourself first, but at a minimum, put yourself on the list, right? (laughs) I know. I had somebody say, Kristen, do you have any standards for yourself whatsoever? Like you should have some, okay? And I was like, oh, right. I'm allowed to have standards. Okay. I got it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So I call that concept of learning to do that. I call that radical self-care. Oh, I love that term. I love it, love it, love it. Talk about that radical self-care. Well, I specifically do because I think often when we say self-care, and this is whether you're a mental health professional, whether you've received mental health or just in the world, we say self-care and people think, oh yeah, go get a massage or take a hot bath. Right, and like those are wonderful things to do. But radical self-care is when you learn to care for and about yourself. When you're putting yourself on the list. Mm. So radical self-care is when I begin to say, I'm worthy. I'm good enough. I am important. I need to, I have needs because I'm a living, breathing human being, and I need to ensure that I take responsibility for meeting my needs and not give myself a hard time about that, not get all negative and like, oh, that's wrong, or I shouldn't, or I don't deserve. So it's about changing uh, how we speak to ourselves internally, how we think about ourselves, feeling okay about relaxing, about having boundaries, about doing fun things about saying no. Like that's my favorite thing to teach people is how to say no. Right. Exactly. I know. And I'm going to, Melanie will laugh about this, but the other, the other day I went over to her house. She lives close to me. And I said, I don't have any appointments scheduled. Let me just come over to your house. Cause she's a single parent. Um, I was too. I remember, but this was a long time ago what her son she's talked about many times her youngest is special needs he's autistic and she doesn't get a lot of time to put herself on the list and so i was like listen i'm going to come over and i want you to just go and do something for yourself and i'm not saying this to say oh aren't i wonderful that i did that i don't mean it in that way at all i just was like i've got this time you know 
let me come over and do that. I love playing with her son and, you know, whatever. So I came over there and it took her so long to leave the house. And I noticed this. I, I have done this too. She's like, oh, but I've got to check this. And oh, I've got to check that. And let me make a phone call. Today. And I finally looked at her and I started laughing because we, we love each other. We know each other. And I said, would you just get out of here? <laughs> just go. Stop. It'll all wait for you when you get back. Just go, go, go. And we just kind of laughed about it because that's that's what we tend to do. And like, even when we are planning something, we will put a hundred things to do's in front of it. Right. That is such a good example. And it, it shows both the difficulty in acting to care for ourselves. Right. And that's sort of where Melanie was at. And I've been there. Like we've all been there. And it also shows the positive benefit of connection and compassion and altruism, right? You're saying, hey, let me do this for you. So that there is a real benefit in being connected to other people and helping people out. That is totally legitimate. We do feel better when we help someone. It just can't be at the ongoing expense of taking care of ourselves. We've got to yeah, find a way to and, do both. Exactly. Yeah. And there, I, I mean, I'm, I hate to say this people, but this is a reality. There are people that are extremely narcissistic that are applying for sainthood, and that's how their narcissism manifests. <laughs> and so they are constantly, quote unquote, taking care of others, and it has nothing to do with taking care of others. It is fulfilling their deep void, um, a deep hole within themselves, and it is all about them, them, them. Um, we had someone that on the last day of, of someone dealing with a death in the family, this person who's never met the, the family just shows up because they're such a do-gooder that they just cross every boundary known to man to show up to be there for this person. They were not asked to be there. They weren't even told where this was happening. They did their own research to find out where this death was happening, and they just showed up, and I thought, my God, that has nothing to do with the other person and all about you. And that is another form of, you know, that applying for sainthood narcissism. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and nobody's really benefiting from that because no. there the problem is that there's a, a not that same sense of true connection. Like when you're really there for somebody else, people feel that. You can tell. Right. There's yeah. a there's an underlying sense of uh, literally co- feeling connected to the other person as opposed to someone who's coming in and saying, oh, I have to be the one. <laughs> like, well, no, actually you don't. Go. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Oh. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. 
So how did you come upon this own your awesome and, and how, why is that a great statement for you and that you would write about it using that, that particular word that is awesome? <laughs> sure. I, you know, I love, I love the word awesome. So they go together, right? So own best friend and then be awesome so you can own mm-hmm. your awesome. Right. And so, you know, people don't have to read both of them, but conceptually, they're all connected. And that's because here it is. So I've been uh, in the field working as a psychologist and a coach and a speaker for over 25 years. I love doing this. And I absolutely believe that we can begin to change the world one person at a time. And one of the very basic ways I think we can begin to change the world is by teaching and encouraging people to engage in radical self-care. Therefore, become your own best friend. That's where own best friend came from. And mm. and just a quick word here. So own best friend, both books are written in a conversational style. They include examples from people I've worked with. Obviously, the names and circumstances are changed. And also examples from my life. The people who know me, when they read it, they say, oh, my God, I feel like I'm just sitting down talking to you. I'm like, right? <laughs> just a conversation that I put into words, right? You know, mm-hmm. but based over a lot of years of experience. And so Own Best Friend is based around the acronym EMPOWERS, which stands for Enhance Your Energy, Make More Time, Practice Perspective, Own Your Best Self, etc. So it's really around what are the things that you need to do, sort of the the basic foundational behaviors and ways of seeing yourself so you can engage in radical self-care and begin to put yourself on the list. And then be awesome. Awesome is also an acronym. And in this case, it's sort of another level of, hey, if you want to feel and be awesome and not be in the position of feeling burnt out and not feel like, oh, I'm not motivated and I can't do this. And you've got some of the foundational practices that we talk about in Own Best Friend. Well, then here's sort of the next level of things that you can do. This is sort of uh, radical self-care 2.0. So A, (laughs) in this case, stands for awareness, uh, authenticity, and accountability. And W stands for willingness and wholehearted. And E is engagement and connection. And then let's see, S is spirituality. O is openness and forgiveness. You get the idea. So it's, and each one in both books, each one of the acronym chapters has exercises for the person to use. And they're meant to be exercises that don't take you know, a lot of money or a lot of time to actually practice. It's like, what's sort of your get right to the point? Because that's pretty much how I work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's <laughs> radical self-care I is based on radical honesty. Like we're just telling it like it is, because what I want is for you, whomever the you is, to begin living your best life, to feel awesome. And I know you're not going to do that until you feel that you're good enough. Right. Then you sort of address that common human challenge. So there's lots of ways we can do that. And there's specific tools and techniques and perspectives that we can take that begin to really shift how we see ourselves and how we act and then how we are in the world. So that's I know that was probably longer than you wanted, but that's the. No, I'm I'm never going to I'm never going to see the word awesome the same again. So I love that. Right. And it's literally if you think like about authenticity 
right? Just as an example, like if you want to be, if you want to own your awesome, you're going to, you're going to be willing to engage in radical self-care. You're going to be your real self and believe that your real self is like perfectly okay. Right. right. Like you're good enough. That's fabulous. And not compare yourself to other people. My gosh, I have, you know, I hear people just comparing. They have to cut down and I am guilty of it too. You know, I, I'm not anymore, but um, I did this, you know, in much more insecure times and times of serious trauma, being in relationships with people who do have narcissistic personality disorder. Talk about starting all over again with your self-esteem, getting one of those relationships. Um, but, you know, constantly um, critiquing other people's sideswipe remarks. I, I, I had, I introduced someone as an example to a good friend of mine who I think is wonderful. This guy is this amazing uh, person that created a, a suicide awareness company in Australia. And he's, um, you know, he, he just is a very inspiring person. And when I finally introduced him to someone, they had to, you know, point out the things, well, he's short or he's this or he's that. And I thought, that is all you can see when you look at this guy. I mean, how sad. That is so, right, sad. That's my word. That's so sad. Because that's someone who is so caught up in not being legitimately okay with who they are that they've got to use this other mechanism. I mean, that's the same thing that people do in middle school, right? It's all about the in-group. And you only become the in-group by making someone else the out-group. That's how it occurs. So true. Right? So that's what that is. I'm going to make you the out-group so I'll be an in-group. Except, hello, you're okay all on your own. Like, you don't need it. You know, and these, the, are, these people tend to chase and celebritize other people too. They they will see someone that they deem means success to them, and they will try to align themselves with that person and get that person to pay attention to them. And I think you don't need to do that. Just right. do that for yourself. They right. don't. It doesn't rub off on you. It's not. It's not a. You know, it's not um, a, that they have paint on their arm and if you rub up against it, some of it's going to land on you, that they developed their tools to be that and you can do that too and stop comparing and putting a measurement on what success is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I talk to people about a lot as a way to begin to practice not comparison, because literally, you know, people do it all the time. You, if we saw inside of people's heads, like as if you watch people as they were walking through the mall and could hear their thoughts, oh. this one would be saying, does her butt look bigger than mine? And that would be, would be saying, oh, I can't believe he's wearing that because I this. There's this comparison going on all the time. And it's what? usually not to the benefit of the person who's doing the comparison, right? Again, it's either I'm trying to make myself feel better by putting someone else down, or I'm looking and just seeing this as an opportunity for me to feel less than. So I suggest that people try yoga. And the reason I say try yoga is literally (laughs) there is no one no matter how skilled and athletic and talented that they are, who can go into 
their first yoga class and do things perfectly. It's literally, it's just not possible, right? right? And one of the things about yoga that people make the point of, and I'm trained as a yoga teacher as well, so I really endorse this, is it's not about perfection. It's a yoga practice, right? Not yoga perfect. So it's an mm -hmm. opportunity to develop the skill of practicing failing, practicing not getting it right, and learning to be okay with that, learning to be okay with who you are, and just paying attention to you on your mat, because everybody else is doing their own yoga practice. So we can begin to right. say, oh yeah, this is how it's not, a, it's not about them. I'm about me, they're about them. You know what another great practice is for that too, is working with a horse. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They will, in the most emotionally healthy way, uh, they will show you what you need to really work on. The, not in, oh, these are your faults. Every experience I've had with a horse has been, I feel better about myself after having worked with them. It's not about, oh, they just showed me where all my problems are. But um, they still expect you to they especially if it's a really good horse they really expect you to be present and be emotionally there uh, with them and uh, they pull out your leadership abilities your awesomeness that's what they're pulling out of you which is fascinating because when you're not comfortable with your own awesomeness and I say that in the least narcissistic way possible, a horse is going to suss that out in you and try to get you to get to that place very quickly. That is a fantastic example. I love that. I might have to steal that from you. I'll credit you. But, you know, I really <laughs> like that. It's okay. You don't have and to do <laughs> I love that you say that the horse picks up on your awesomeness because, and literally that's the distinction that we're making. Like each one of us, is legitimately awesome if we're able to own and recognize our strengths. And that's not about self-aggrandizing or saying, hey, I'm better than someone. It's just sort of say, it's it's the functional version of saying, hey, I'm okay and I'm utilizing my skills and talents and continuing to grow and learn and expand. That's what awesome is. Like I'm a legitimate mm -hmm. human being who screw things up and I fall and I, and I, I get that. And I just keep working towards developing who I am while appreciating who I am in my journey towards increased skills. You can see that too with people that are constantly, you know, I have to go to a hundred different swamis to tell me my fortune or I have to, every time I make a decision about something in business, I have to call an attorney and then tell everyone that I've called an attorney and sort it, it, and it's like, can you make a decision? Like, are you able to go to the bathroom without calling your attorney or a psychic? Like, is that a possible? <laughs> can you trust that you can your make own the decision. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult because you that can be very irritating to deal with someone like that. And on the other hand, you you do feel badly for them because their wounds are so obvious. Yeah. But yeah, you can't make them get out of their own way. You can't, and it's not your job to do so either. Right. And that that's actually so in both books, but particularly in Own Best Friend, one of the things I talk about is this whole idea of um, it's 
never about you except when it's only about you, right? <laughs> in that, that you, literally we can't make anyone do anything. So we're right. responsible for our own thoughts, feelings, and actions. And that means everybody else is responsible for their thoughts, feelings, and actions, period. So yeah. we're not responsible for anyone else and they're not responsible for us. We're responsible for us. So somebody doesn't make me feel a particular way, nor can I make them feel, learn, or do something a particular way. Tell our listeners why I always want to know this because I, I absolutely love anyone that chooses mental health as their profession, especially someone that goes into counseling. To me, I just mm, listeners have heard me fangirl over counselors forever. So <laughs> why I, I always want to know why this profession, what spoke to you about it? What resonated with you to, to go into this as your career? Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give you uh, and the listeners the true story, right, which is my entire life, starting from probably the age of four, I was going to be a pediatrician, hmm. not mental health. I volunteered with my local pediatricians. I, at five years old, my birthday present, my prized present was a very real, actual first aid kit that lifeguards. <laughs> that my town used and that's what I got for a present. I would go around, this was in the days of that orange mercurochrome and I'd be like, oh, do you have a cut here? Let me do this and bandage it, right? I was going to be a doctor. awful, yes. <laughs> okay, exactly, right? So that was it. Everyone knew this, there was no question. I entered college, I went to Wellesley College and I entered as a biology major and I was pre-med. I took all of my pre-med courses Along the way, I took an intro to psych course and I thought it was really interesting, but just because it was interesting, I'm like, well, I'm going to be a pediatrician. It would help me to learn more about the whole person. So I literally added a second major. So I doubled majored in biology and psychology for fun because I just thought it was interesting. So there I was double major now, still going to go to medical school. I'd taken my medical college admission test, the MCATs. I also had professors in psychology who were saying to me, hey, how about you go get your doctorate in psychology? I'm like, yeah, thanks. Now I'm going to go be a pediatrician. <laughs> I, I didn't really listen to them, right? And then I was in an interview for medical school. And this is what happened. This is a true story. The person says to me, so why do you want to go to medical school? And in that moment, I have an experience where my mouth keeps speaking and says, whatever it says, clearly, you know, reasonably enough appropriate. The person doesn't look at me like I've grown a second head. But in <laughs> my inside, all of a sudden I think, oh, my God, why do I want to go to medical school? I don't want to go to medical school. Like I'm taking my I've already done organic chemistry. I'm taking my last semester of physics. I hate this. I don't want to do this. I love psychology. I'm not going to go to medical school. So we finished the interview where somehow I continue this as if I'm going to medical school and I walk out and it's a Friday. I walk out, I walk, I get back to my dorm at Wellesley and I call my parents who live under an hour away and I say to them, hey, so um, I'm not going to go to med school. I'm going to be a psychologist. <laughs> and my parents, who, by the way, <laughs> always wanted me to be a lawyer. So like, whatever, but they're like, oh my God, we'll be there in an hour because 
that's how much <laughs> I was having a meltdown of some right? kind. Yeah. I was going to be a pediatrician and they came and we had dinner and I said, you know, like I just had this wake up moment where I love talking to people. I find how people think and feel and act to be fascinating and interesting. I connect with people. I care about mm. people and wellness matters. And so yeah. I really care about mental and physical wellness. So that's been my focus. Those are the areas. And, and in fact, my, my clinical practice has focused. Like I, one area that I have a specialty in is working with dissociative identity disorder, which we used to call multiple mm. personality disorder, right? But right. literally working with people with severe and complex trauma, that's one part of my practice. But then I also do a lot of advanced clinical supervision for other people who are licensed in the field and who want to really talk to someone who just has an awful lot of experience and knowledge. I work a lot as sort of the therapist therapist. I'm the, the therapist for a lot of medical and mental health professionals. But the mm. whole everything else I do is about coaching. And that's why I do the executive coaching and the speaking, because I think that we need to shift, like we need to have mental health and wellness and acceptance so we can stop thinking about having problems that need to get fixed and begin right. to think about how can we live our best life. And not everyone needs therapy. Like coaching is this other thing that I do for people who are saying, hey, like I don't, I'm not in the middle of a severe depression, but you know what? Like I'm a human and I'm having life struggles and I want more, right. but I don't know how to get there. Like that's So I'm into the field because I love the idea of myself and others literally living our best life and being well and learning to appreciate that. And, and I've gone through my own struggles with this. So this is, I'm very much a walk my talk person. So anything, yeah, great. you know, if I'm talking about it, um, it's, you know, as a human being, it's likely something that I have personal or close experience with. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And Boy, you're right. I mean, I always think everybody could do with some counseling, but I think of it in terms of, um, you know, counseling to me is this wonderful place where you are, let's uncover um, what's in your unconscious so that you can live that, you know, best life that you're talking about. But you're right, that can be done by someone who's coaching and not necessarily, you know, you're there for counseling. But um, I just think, well, you know, you go and you swim every day or you run or you walk. Let's work on our, our compassion and our mental faculties and you know all of those things can be um developed like a muscle too oh absolutely and i should clarify i am so pro counseling and therapy part of the issue is that insurance is based on you know and reimbursement is based on medical necessity so it's a right. it's a reimbursement structure that's set up for a problem orientation as opposed to a wellness orientation. And that's partly where I'm making that differentiation because you can't use insurance for the counseling that says, hey, I just want to be a better person, but I don't have <laughs> a significant mental health issue occurring at the moment. Very true. Let me ask you this and uh, before we get to a close. Let me ask you this. So being someone who is a counselor to counselors, <laughs> That takes some work. 
because counselors can wind you around a room. I mean, I know patients can do that with counselors, but counselors, you know, kind of like the nurse that is the worst patient ever. Yeah. How is that for you dealing with someone who absolutely believes and maybe not even in an arrogant way, maybe that's part of why they get stuck in their own life, even though they are also a counselor, is because they just think somewhere that they know the answer they know how the mind works this is their job and you're sitting there going mm-hmm, we're going to be working on this <laughs> right how is so, that for you <laughs> yeah that was uh, i love that question so as you can tell just from our conversations um i at pretty straightforward and upfront about things and work from a really a feminist the, uh, therapy perspective which is this you know partnership place so if someone comes in and says and they're a therapist and they say hey ABC is the problem and I really want that to change we talk about that and and I say well okay I hear that but here's the other piece that I'm also hearing and then they say no like I know it's this I'm like well so yeah that's where we're stuck and so I'll talk about like what's the story that you're telling yourself about that or what's a different perspective by which we can do that and you know the bottom line is you came in for something that's bothering you. So if that's right. not working, then we've got to find a different way to look at it. And that's okay. But again, it, you know, my approach is to always validate the other person's expertise in both right. themselves and in the things that they know and do in their lives. So it, by no means is it like a, hey, I'm the expert. So shut up and listen to me. It's more like, hey, right. guess what? As a human being, these are the universal struggles that we have, right? Life happens, we have responses. But the good news is there's things that we can do to manage our responses and how we look at ourselves and the rest of the world in a different way. And we can get our brains and our bodies to do that differently too. So really coming from this perspective of there's hope and there's a, absolutely an ability to change and I'll come up with anything. So I really do a lot of staying on top of the literature, reading things. I'm recommending books and audios to people all the time. Like that's sort of one of my things because I'm like, oh my God, I think this will be really helpful for you. You know, my, my mind goes a lot. So I... <laughs> I let it do that. Like, here, here's something that might work for you, you know? And then we talk about the basics. We are always talking about like, what are the things that we all need? Like we need to believe that we're okay because that's a human struggle. Right. So if we're not thinking we're okay, then that's where we're going to work, you know? Or, and we all create sort of narratives that don't necessarily reflect our best view of ourselves connected to that. So that's something to look at. And we need to be able to have compassion for others and compassion for ourselves. And we need to look at like the new research in mindset science. And anyway, I could just go on and on and on about it. So <laughs> well, when I, when I, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, because, so I love it because when somebody really gets it, what we can do is sort of balance between their intellectual understanding of something as well mm. as their felt human experience. And like, I'll, I'll freely share with people, like one of my favorite humans on the face of the earth, not that I, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I feel like I do, is the Dalai Lama, because he'll mm, say yeah. about himself, he'll say, I'm one of 3 billion humans. 
And I'm like, wow, if this amazing individual who has it way more together than anyone I'm ever likely to personally meet, and that's how he sees himself, like, I think that's a pretty good aspiration. So how can we see ourselves and be as an equal human among humanity? Oh boy, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it ties in so much with what your books are about, what you've talked about, because what do counselors notoriously do? They put themselves last on the list or not oh, even on the list, you know? Exactly, exactly. And that's why in my coaching business, we've got, you know, some um, people within the mental yeah. health right? There's many people. And in fact, often people who are running their own business or in, you know, senior positions, like they have the knowledge. It's not that they don't have the knowledge. They're just not applying it. And ultimately they're not getting the same results for their life or for those they work with, right? We've got to invest in ourselves. Absolutely. So I would say this, All of our listeners that are counselors, I know there's a lot of you that listen, a lot of you listen because I can be utterly ridiculous, so you get to diagnose me all the time, and that's fabulous, but you know how much I love you, and I appreciate the work that you do. Please call this woman (laughs) and do something nice for yourself because of what you do is so amazing. I'm I'm asking you to do that (laughs) because you deserve it. You'll be a better counselor if you do these kinds of things for yourself. That's the reality. Oh, you know, thank you for saying that. And 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 literally that's what I do. So one of the things, and I can sort of throw this out there to you and to your listeners, like one of the things is I do, just like Melanie went to, I do workshops and talks all across the country and internationally on how to become your own best friend or how to be awesome mm-hmm. or how to how to be stress smart, right? And, le- and let stress bring out the best in you instead of getting oh, the That's best. a whole other show. You have to come back on and talk uh, just about that. Seriously. That, love oh, with that topic. Love with that topic. Running a network like I do, you know, and I'm not, you know, a lot of women do a lot of things. So it's not like that's whatever. Anyway, I'm putting myself down and I shouldn't do that. But yeah, um, it's it's true, though. You You just, you, you you have to learn how to take stress and be an alchemist of your stress. (laughs) Yes. Right. So, so if there are people who are looking for somebody who they want to bring in for a workshop or to speak to their organization or to do within organization coaching, things like that, like that's the stuff that I'm also really open to because when we can get, I've done this at uh, like senior executive women's networks in my area, as well as, universities, and as I said, overseas, um, in different places in the country. But when I can go in and there's a group of people and we can talk about this and people can leave with practical strategies to begin to make a difference and to shift things, well, then we're just, you know, um, what's the word? Exponentially increasing impact. So I love- Right. I love my one to one coaching and I do that. Oh, and can I tell you one little thing about that? This is a difference about my model. Yeah. I'm going to tell you my coaching model is based on a, um, how do I say this politely? Get stuff done model. (laughs) You can imagine there's a different word in there. And uh, so it's, it's an eight session 
spread out over a sort of whatever period of time, but it's an eight session model with the potential for one eight session um, extension. That's it. So like the people that I do coaching awesome. with, they come in and they say, I want to achieve X, Y, Z, whatever. Like they'll say, I know I'm like, I know I stink at self-care and I know I need to go to the gym and I know I need to eat right, but I can't, I don't have any motivation. I feel like crap, blah, blah, blah. I'm too stressed. And so my guarantee is if you're ready to work and put in the work, we are going to have clear goals that meet those needs that you have, that you will achieve within eight times that we meet. And I meet with people virtually as well as in person. And, right. you know, so that could be, it could be three months that those eight, you know, encounters happen, but they meet their goals. That's it. Yeah. It's rare for someone to even consider an ex eight session extension. Well, you know, what's funny when Melanie took your course, I, I signed up and I, uh, I paid for it through the company, of course, because it's, you know, continuing education credit for her. And uh, she called me and was texting me on breaks saying, we have to interview this person. Like this, this, I, this is incredible. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, yeah, I'm so glad that you um, that you're you wanted to come on the show and I want you to come back. We're definitely going to talk about the stress thing. Absolutely. That's a, that's a whole other hour. But um, first of all, I, I, I want listeners to know how the heck do they find you? Where do they go to find you? Sure. They can go to my website. It's the easiest way. And that's drchristinahallett.org. And I'll spell it because that way you'll get it right. It's literally D-R-K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-H-A-L-L-E-T-T.org. Fantastic. And that's where they can find out about your books and yeah, everything. Yeah, it's all there. DrChristinaHallett.org. And uh, it also, I think that, you know, there's some audio clips of me speaking and stuff like and um, video clips, too. So um, people can really get a sense of sort of how I am, because that's the other thing I believe is you've got to be a good match to whomever you're working with. Right. If right. you want to make progress, you've got to feel connected and like a good match with the whoever the person is you're going to work with. And so that's one of my criteria. Like I have to feel like we're a good match and the other person has to feel like we're a good match, because if that's it, then there's just extra energy. You know, it just works even better. Right. So. Exactly, exactly. That when you have chemistry with someone in anything that you're doing, good, healthy chemistry, that just makes the experience all the richer um, for you and for them. Yeah. And people can find both books are on Amazon uh, and Barnes and Noble. I mean, actually, you can just sort of Google either, you know, own best friend, comma, Hallett or be awesome, comma, Hallett, and you'll find them. They're all out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for coming on. Oh, it has been such a pleasure. I've had so much fun. This was a great conversation. <laughs> I can't wait to have our next one because I just want to talk with you about everything. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> and listeners, you have that to look forward to. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. 
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.